Welcome to another episode of Stories of the Saints. Our guest today is Dan Schoeneman. Dan is currently the administrator of CPRS, which is Center Place Restoration School, a school where many of the saints send their children, and we'll get into that in a little bit, more of the specifics. Dan, thanks for being here this morning. Thank you for having me. I know you, Dan, because my son goes to school at CPRS and has been blessed to go there, but I don't know much about your background, and uh, so just tell me where, when did you, did you grow up in a Christian home and, and when did you meet Jesus? Yes, I did. In fact, I was baptized into the church when I was eight years old. My grandfather was um, an elder, my mom's father, <clears throat> and grew up in the church uh, in Michigan. Um, it's where my wife and I are both from. In fact, we went to school together since sixth grade, so known her a long time. But um, as we as I grew up, learned the church, learned about the church, was uh, active in Zion's League uh, all the way through. But uh, after that, kind of, uh, not kind of, fell away from it. After we were married, my wife was not of our faith, and uh, I started attending her church and did through the first years that we were married in uh, in Michigan. Um, my parents and, aunt and uh, well, aunts and uncles moved out here uh, in the 70s, uh, and we had no intention at that time of moving out here. As I said, we weren't involved in the church at the time, but the Lord had other ideas, and that was, I often say, many people gathered to Zion. I was gathered. I was directed and uh, kind of forced into the situation, if you will, for employment purposes, that sort of thing. That and my mother's prayers. I knew that had a lot to do with it also. But we moved down here in 1980, started attending the Buckner RLDS Church. Um, I was obviously not in priesthood at the time because we hadn't been active. Uh, I was brought down here to work for a company where I had to travel anywhere from three to five days uh, a week, which was difficult for and having a young family at that particular time. But again, the Lord blessed me because those three years as I was traveling gave me opportunity to study in the evenings. And my wife and my oldest son were baptized uh, at the same time in Buckner, uh, which was a blessing. Uh, the congregation was a blessing to us as we grew up uh, as a family. Uh, I was called to the priesthood, to the office of elder in 1984, and just as we were starting to go through the um, situation with the institutional church, uh, Buckner was one of four congregations that were very much in the forefront at that particular time. Um, so we went through that. Uh, I was involved at Buckner. I was pastor there for three different terms. Uh, after we became the restoration branch, after we had built the building, uh, the Lord continued to to bless us, um, made a decision at that time, uh, again, an employment situation, and I had been involved with the youth in coaching and decided I was going to go back to school. Uh, felt led that I needed to do that and to go into education. And that's probably one of the primary things in my life that I've noticed with the Lord as far as working with me is his patience. Because I was pretty much led when I was in high school, only I neglected to follow those leadings that um, education is where I needed to go. Um, my counselor advised me that. Several teachers advised me in doing that. And um, my feelings at the time is that I didn't want to go into that for various reasons. So uh, the Lord took me on a journey that uh, several years going through business, being involved, uh, doing some programming, actually, in the very early stages of that, um, and then going into business, into sales, into marketing, into sales management, that sort of thing. Um, and when I look back on it, all the experiences that I've had and everything have uh, kind of culminated in where we are right now. Uh, the ministry that uh, uh, hopefully 
the Lord is using me to provide at this particular time. But as we went through the situation, uh, as I said, the Lord was involved, had great patience with me, um, and it's it's been a journey. It's been an interesting journey. When did when did your wife uh, did she come into the church? Yes, she did. She, as I said, she was baptized uh, at the same time my oldest son okay. was when he was eight uh, out at Buckner. We'd been there, um, in, I think it was about two and a half years, and. Uh, she made the decision that uh, she wanted to be baptized, um, which was an interesting testimony for me because I was traveling at that particular time. I traveled for about three years uh, in that position. And I happened to be in Chicago and in the evening, and uh, that's when I did most of my studying. And I found myself in a hotel room downtown Chicago and I was reading uh, the scriptures, started out sitting at a table, wound up lying on the bed uh, reading, and then I found myself uh, lying on the floor uh, and reading. And had an experience that was, I call it my Enos experience, very much uh, realized the sins in my life, uh, pleading for forgiveness and uh, I had an experience where the Spirit rested upon me, and I realized that um, I was being forgiven of my sins at that time. That's probably the the experience that was before I was in priesthood. That was, <clears throat> I don't know if conversion is the right word, but I think at that particular time that I understood the power and the magnificence of the Lord and <clears throat> After that had happened, there were several things in, uh, that I had questions about. And one of the things was, would my wife be baptized into the church? And I had the burning in the bosom to assure me that uh, that was going to take place. Sure enough, when I got home, she had made the comment that uh, she wanted to be baptized. Wow, that's that's crazy. I think sometimes we, we, we use different words, but um, I to me that sounds like you know, being born again, being born of the Spirit at that moment, knowing that you're forgiven. Is there any better? There's to me, there's no better feeling than when you feel forgiven and clean. It's like everything looks different. Right, I agree with you, and it's something that you always look back on. And even as you, uh, you know, even as I relate that experience, I can sense the Spirit being with me in regards to the truth of it. And then you look at what's happened in that time frame between then, and we realize that. Uh, we are still sinners that we still need that. But I agree with you. That's the board and getting experience that Alma speaks of. Yeah. Well, I that reminds me of uh, early in the 90s, and this will bring us to, to our conversation about the school. Early in the 90s, I was attending a, um, a reunion out in Wilberton, Oklahoma, a gathering of saints, and we were living in Ohio at the time. What part of Michigan did you live in? Southwestern Michigan, we were actually probably 90 to 100 miles from Chicago as you drove around the lake. Mm-hmm. We were in a, a town called Buchanan. Uh, anybody that is familiar with Southwestern Michigan will know that area, probably know St. Joseph Benton Harbor, uh, which is in the northern part of the county right on the lake that would be more familiar with that. So We took a trip to Michigan uh, a couple of years ago and just drove the whole loop, Upper Peninsula. Uh, what a beautiful state. Of course, I grew up in Ohio, so we were taught that Michigan was just an evil place, you know. With the <laughs> 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 Not really, but it's a beautiful state. Uh, my Corey that uh, does our show every week, he's from Michigan, Corey Stark. Did you know him? Uh, no, I have not. I've heard some of his podcasts, but I, have, okay. I do not know him. I haven't met him. So, all right, so... You were, uh, I was living in Northwest Ohio, just a little south of Toledo, not too far from the Michigan border. And so my family, of course, the things had happened in the church and we hadn't gone to reunion for a number of years. They, some friends of theirs invited us out to Wilberton, Oklahoma. And there was probably, I don't know, five or 700 saints out there at those. It was on a college campus. It was just a huge reunion. And during, we went like two or three years in a row. And and at one of those, um, I had my my blessing, my patriarchal blessing. And that week was just marvelous. Uh, Vivian Sorensen was preaching and uh, I just felt clean and forgiven at the end of that week. And that's pretty much was my experience. 
of being born again. Um, but while we were there, Dan, I heard some people talking about a building in Independence, Missouri, that they were looking to buy and start a school. Uh, how long? How long has CPRS? Do you know the year it was founded? Nineteen ninety one, I believe it was. Okay, so yeah, that was. Yep, that was right around that time. And I thought I just I heard about it, and I thought, well, that sounds like a really, a really cool thing. And another reason that I want to gather to Independence someday is so that you know it would be great if my kids could go to a school like that. Having you know gone to a public school, and and I had no other church people in my school. I was the only one. Um, I thought that'd be neat. So then you come to the year 2021 and the school is well established and and going. Tell me about how did you find out there was a position open for administrator and what was your thought process on that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's definitely the Lord intervening again. We, um, I was serving on the board. I had been in, uh, after I made the change to education, I taught for 18 years and retired from that. I had taught in public school, um, and when I retired, uh, I had two years of retirement, if you will. But bef- previous to that, about a year, year and a half before that, I started to serve on the board at uh, CPRS. And then um, during this time period in the first year that I started, uh, our administrator resigned uh, from the from his position, and a school board asked me if I would uh, fill in, and I said no, <laughs> that I did I didn't really want to do that. Um, I was joy- enjoying retirement. I was I felt providing ministry by speaking at different places and doing some teaching, um, and I thought I felt that's what I needed to be doing. <clears throat> and they said, "Well, would you make it a matter of prayer?" Well, okay, I'll make it a matter of prayer, but I, I really don't think I want to come out of retirement to to do that. And as I did, certain things happened. I uh, received a testimony. There, there were two of us that had been asked to pray about it. Neither one of us, both of us had said no, but that we would make it a matter of prayer. Um, situations that I ask, if this, Lord, if this is what you want me to do, this, this, and this should happen as a testimony. And this, this, and this did happen as a testimony. And the other gentleman that I have a lot of respect for uh, didn't receive his testimony. And when we came back to the next board meeting, um, he said, I'm not supposed to do it. And I said, well, my testimony is that I should, and I will finish this year. I will, you know, finish out this year. Well, that was five years ago. Um, What happened is that for me, as I got involved at CPRS on a day-to-day function, my thought process was, you know, this is why I got into education. This is what education Mm -hmm. is supposed to be. Different environment than, obviously, than what I was doing as far as teaching in public school. And um, after 18 years teaching at the middle school level, teaching uh, algebra and pre-algebra, I was burnt out on it. Uh, and I was ready to retire. Actually, when I went into education, I'd planned on teaching for 15 years, and I went 18 years in doing it. So, um, But the Lord um, made it known that I should do that, got towards the end of the year, and the board says, do you want to do it another year? And I said, yes, I will. Um, and basically, that's what's happened. I've done it on a year-to-year basis. I haven't taken a, a longer-term contract. It's just a year-to-year, so the board can make up their mind if they want me to leave, and if the Lord directs that I need to, then I will at that point. Anyone that's ever been to the school uh, while it's in session, it's a special place for me just walking in there and seeing the kids. Now, of course, I'm not there every day, and um, I wondered about the dynamics of it being a job, uh, a place you go to every day, as opposed to a, a ministry, or how does that all inter- interweave together? How do you view that? Well, I don't. It's interesting. I I view it as a ministry, not as a job. Okay. Um, it's a situation that the administrator tends to wear 
different hats. You're a principal. In fact, I'm called a principal a lot by a lot of people. I'm a principal. Um, two years ago, um, Mrs. Omer was promoted to assistant administrator, and she's doing the principal's chores for the elementary. Um, I do act as principal, if you will, for the middle school and for the high school. Um, there's uh, the administrative side of it, the business side of it that uh, we work uh, in doing and handling that. Um, there's the biggest aspect of it, or one of the more important ones, I think, is I kind of view it as being the pastor at the school in a lot mm -hmm. of ways like a congregation. Um, so I attempt to the mission statement at the school is twofold. Um, one of them is the spiritual side of it, where it's our objective to bring, help bring the students to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, the second one is the academic side of it, and to, you have to be involved in both sides of it. Um, and basically, I have found more testimonies in these last five years that the Lord's in control in my biggest situation is to make certain I stay out of his way and make uh, available, you know, what needs to be done for that. In fact, when I agreed to do the position, I had a uh, <laughs> an experience where I was driving in for the first day after I'd accepted the position. Um, and I got halfway in and I, I was praying while I was driving. And I realized what I had done in my uh, my prayer was, hey, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> yeah, you've <clears throat> got some management experience, that sort of thing, but you've never been a school administrator. Why do you think you can do this? And I just at that time said, Lord, uh, it's going to be you. It's got to be you. And I've got to, I remind myself of that every day, that uh, he's the one that's in charge with it. And we just need to make ourselves available for him. I was going to ask you, can you remember back to what those first few days were like being in the school all day? Uh, had you done any substituting there or anything? You said you were on the board, but... <clears throat> yeah, I also, um, the board president at that time started a uh, something that he called bringing in pastors to help at the school. Um, and we still continue that. We have uh, uh, a gentleman that... Uh, this year it was Harry Williams that does the scheduling for guest speakers and is involved in the chapels for the school on Wednesdays. Um, I came in as a pastor. I went to two different classrooms on a Thursday. I also uh, took over the chapel for the uh, high school boys at that particular time. Uh, so I was involved in that situation. I came in once a week. Uh, so I knew what it was like there uh, in some respects. Do you, do you think uh, the students that have gone there their whole life take uh, take it for granted, or do you think they see it as a blessing as well? Is it just kind of varied from the aspect of the students? I think it's, uh, it's like any of us. They're individuals. Some are going to get a lot out of it, some not so much. Um, when we hired our uh, present uh, uh, one of our uh, religion teachers, uh, Bob, told me at the time, and that's Bob Bobbitt that's uh, teaching three of our religion classes at the high school level. Uh, when we were talking with him, he said, well, I will do it, but I want to do a class on comparative religions. He said, I feel that a lot of our students, um, he said, definitely coming through the public school system, they wouldn't have exposure to it. But he said also here, he said, we, we've got to prepare our students for what's going to hit them in the world because they're going to go to college and they're going to hit things that uh, do they got to know how to defend it. And uh, the response was definitely, you know, go ahead and go for that. And he's done an excellent job with that. And I think that, and we've had students, and this has been three years, but we've had students that have already come back and made the comment, I'm so glad I took that class because I've gotten into discussion with students of other faiths, and I knew what to say. So that's the, that's the mission of the school. And to answer your question, it's going to depend on the student. I mean, they're individuals just like adults, obviously, and it's still 
agency is involved in it. So what they can get out of it um, is going to make a difference as far as how they apply themselves there. Yeah. We told Weston early on, um, just like I think we go to church on Sundays and maybe sometimes feel like we are members of the church because of our attendance or because that's what we do. But we told him just because you go to a Christian school and a church school, don't don't look at other kids there as examples. You know, look at look to Jesus and and He's the standard. And don't don't think that people are, are Christians because they're going there. It's it's the relationship that you have to have with Jesus, and that you know this is just a tool to to bring you to that. And so we try to try to get him because I. I Oh, I've had family members that have gone to school, and I think maybe sometimes the kids rely on the fact that because they're in a Christian school that they're doing well with the Lord or whatever, but they still need that that, uh, relationship, that very personal relationship. And I feel like that's something you guys, I love that that's part of your mission statement. Yeah, and that's the important, in my mind, that's the important part. Of, of the mission statement. That doesn't slight academics. There's been a lot of changes made in the last six, seven years at the school academically, but the primary focus needs to be on that relationship with Christ. There's no, there's no question about that. I have seen just in a short time that I've been there, I've seen students come in that had some problems in their background. Uh, but they came in, and it's made a difference. By the same token, we've had students that have come in that parents were hoping just by being at the school that they would be changed, and it, it didn't happen. It wasn't successful for them. So, I was going to um, ask you about that dynamic. Uh, I think that would be hard for me personally to balance uh, expectations of the saints or the parents that send their children to school sometimes with uh, reality. I know you have to, I'm sure you have to walk kind of gingerly over this uh, (laughs) softly without giving too much away, but is that hard to deal with the, um, oh, the expectations or maybe the blame sometimes? I I can only imagine you may feel from parents when things go wrong with their children when they're attending a Christian school. Yes, it is. Uh, It's something that, um, you know, it's, well, my prayer on a daily basis is that there's a hedge around the school to protect it from the darts of the adversary, but also from the outside influences of the world. And that's, honestly, that's the really difficult part because each individual there, be it teachers, be it staff, be it the students or the volunteers, many times and I've done it many times, we're responsible for bringing in those things of the world into the school, which can cause problems. In addition, the students are coming from all sorts of different backgrounds. By that, I mean spiritual and religious backgrounds. So it makes a difference where they are. Um, I think probably one of the best analogies, and I've told this story and I've written articles that have uh, been out to the parents, but it meant a lot to me. When I was teaching uh, in a Raytown district, they had a, the superintendent who had been at uh, Raytown district for a long time. He also was um, uh, an RLDS member who stayed with the Community of Christ, but um, he resigned from his position. And he was interviewed by the Kansas City Star, and he told them a story that stuck with me. Now, this individual was well-respected by the teachers and everybody that worked with him. But he made a comment. He said, sometimes we all want the same thing for our students, and there's different ways to get there. And sometimes if you're not going to work in the same way, it's best just to uh, step aside, which is what he did. And he was hired by another school district within three weeks. But um, he said and made the comment of the three-legged stool, and that is that a student is supported by three legs of a stool. There's home, there's the school, and there's the church. And he says, unfortunately, many of our students only have one leg right now. And he was referring to the public school system at that point. But that's still very important. I think that it takes all three 
working together and communicating to be able to do that. And sometimes that's that's difficult to do. But if a student is well-balanced and has all three of those things supporting him, him or her, it's a better opportunity to um, for the outcome that we're looking for when we go through that. And that's meant a lot. And in fact, that meant so much to me. I asked my granddaughter, who is now out of school and married, but uh, when she was uh, still in high school at the time, I asked her to paint a picture of a three-legged stool, and I have that in my office. Oh, man. So we talk about it when we <coughs> interview new parents coming in. That's neat. What? Tell me a bit, little bit about the background for people that don't know the school. What what kind of backgrounds do you have in the students, religion-wise or family-wise? <coughs> um, most of the – well, obviously, close to 90% of the students are – restorationists, they go to restoration branches or they list a restoration branch as their um, uh, their home branch, home congregation. We do have um, Community of Christ students. We've got students who attend um, uh, Church of Christ Temple lot. We've got students that are Baptist. We've got Lutherans. We've got Catholics. Um, and it's interesting to see the interaction of the students that um, uh, the way they do interact, especially when they get into the religion classes. Um, it's not an adversarial relationship. It just doesn't materialize that way. And a lot of that has to do with our teachers and the way they handle it. But it's um, it's a good opportunity to expose the church to people that don't know anything about it. But it's still a Christian environment. And that's what most of the parents are looking for. We've had um, and still do have some uh, LDS students uh, that are attending. And I talked to one gentleman several years ago that uh, had students there, and he said, we may disagree. He said, I don't want you to change anything you're teaching. He said, teach it. And if there's something that maybe we don't agree with as LDS, he said, I'll, um, I'll take care of that at home. You know, we'll discuss that at home. And it, it worked out well. Never had any problems or anything with that situation. We have a lot of students that come in that there is no affiliation with church. I shouldn't say a lot. We have some students that come in that there's no affiliation with church. Um, it's a situation where parents want them out of the environment for whatever reason where they are, where they're going to school now. Those are the ones that can bring the most joy because of the change that can happen. And they are the ones also that can bring the most disappointment if they don't respond, if there isn't a response to uh, to the Lord that we would hope for. <clears throat> Tell me about uh, what's the the numbers of the school? What what, what kind of, uh, how, how is it dispersed? How many students do you have and that kind of thing? We will... Um, <clears throat> Before COVID, we were right at 200. Uh, when COVID hit, we had parents who were uncertain as we were at the school what the future held with it. Um, so we went from 200. We dropped down to uh, starting this year at 174, I believe it was. Um, and we're at 184 right now. So we picked up some more students. We will be back with enrollment in the way it's going. We'll be back at 200 or 200 plus. We have um, the bulk of the students are elementary. In fact, we've got our preschool, our first grade, and our second grade. We've capped the classes. We want to keep a manageable classroom. We want to keep the student to teacher ratio uh, lower, and so consequently, we've capped those classes. Um, uh, the, the, obviously, preschool is capped by the space that we have in the state of what they will allow. So we have, you know, there might be opportunity to grow even more in that particular area. As you get into the middle school, um, the classes are, this next year looks like 15 in one of the grades, uh, 10 and another one, which is extremely low, except for Weston's class, which is the lowest number in the, in school. But um, And then we have, we'll be about 20 in the 8th uh, grade class. 
High school is smaller. We have about 45 students in the high school level. We'll have about the same number, uh, 40 to 45 in the middle school level. Enrollment's still going on. So and we've got some interviews coming up, so we'll have some more coming in. The elementary is the level that um, uh, the bulk of the students are right now uh, as we progress. The preschool is just something that has started on your tenure as, as you've been there. That's fairly new. Tell me about that. That's neat. Yes, that is. It started, um, this is uh, be coming into our fourth year of it, I believe now, this coming fall. Um we started with a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, half-day session. We've tried a couple different. We've done, like this last year, was Tuesday, Thursday, full-day sessions. Um, and then this coming year, we're going to do Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, full or half-day. But that class, because of the room that we're in, uh, the size of it and everything, we can only have 12 students. And we've got 12 students plus this five students on a waiting list for it. So. Wow. That's great. What's the uh, finances like and the challenges you face as an administrator? I know you, it's kind of been, you don't want to turn anybody away, but there is cost for parents to send their uh, kids there. And I know sacrifices are made. Tell me about that, how it impacts the families and then, and then how it, um, you as a school uh, try to um, help with that. Well, in fact, sacrifice is probably the underlying, uh, one of the underlying pillars as far as the school's concerned because not only for the parents as far as the tuition is concerned, excuse me, but also uh, for the teachers. We can't afford to pay what anywhere close to what the public schools are paying, so there's a sacrifice there. But I think, as I view it as a ministry, I think a lot, most of the teachers do too that are there and the staff that are there. They realize they could go somewhere else. Most of our teachers um, could go into public schools without any problem at all as far as finding a position. But as far as the parents are concerned, our tuition is kept low. That's been the um, driving force since uh, John A. Smith was the first uh, administrator of the school and when it was formed. They wanted to keep it reasonably priced, and there are some financial aid packages which also help in doing that. But if you compare our tuition and the way it's uh, structured, we are substantially lower than most of the Christian schools. We're lower than all of the private schools. If you look at our conference, for example, <clears throat> in the schools that we're uh, in competition with athletically, but also membership-wise for someone that's not a restoration, um, it is we're uh, I think the closest to us is like a thousand or twelve hundred dollars more per year in doing it, but it does require sacrifice on a parent's part, and you know, and we're appreciative of that. We understand it. We have also uh, from the inception, the school was designed to be a stewardship responsibility of the restoration branches, and that's one thing. With <clears throat> there are over two hundred restoration branches. <clears throat> that we have on our mailing list. And we keep in touch through mailings and many times through phone calls to them. Of course, most of the support comes from the center place as far as the restoration branches. Some of the congregations, uh, many of them have, it's a line item on the budget or a special that uh, uh, every year they donate X amount of dollars. Some congregations base it on the number of students that they have coming to CPRS, and they do it as student aid. Now, this last year that we're just finishing, we budgeted on, uh, I think it was 187 students, and we only had 170-some that started. Well, that's a drop in tuition, and that, that's something that, we need, that needed to be made up but again, it's an example of the way the Lord blessed. The amount of tuition that we were have been under budget-wise has been made up almost, well, it's a little bit more than, but very close to dollar for dollar. Uh, the amount that we were under on tuition was made up through contributions, uh, either individual or um, through congregations. 
And we have congregations that uh, are sending in money from the state of Washington, from Ohio, from Michigan, uh, South Carolina, and I'm probably know I'm missing states, Florida, that that have taken it personally and view it as a stewardship. And so every year they're contributing money towards the school. Um, and obviously they don't have any of their students here, but they feel that it is a responsibility. That's one thing we would like to see broadened even more is that uh, there would be a larger base. Talk to me about that, um, the school as kind of a unifying source uh, or organization for the church. In a day where the church is divided along so many lines, how does the school uh, fit into that and work in uh, bringing the church together maybe, at least on that point? Have you, is that, from your perspective, kind of neat, I, I can imagine? Yes, it is. It's... Um, <clears throat> With everything that's been happening within the restoration branches and the things that's happened over the years, it's uh, in the past has caused some problems even at the school, a drop in attendance and that sort of thing. Um, It's just something that the students generally do not view those differences the way their parents might. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are certain things, obviously, that uh, they might in discussion. But to be be able to have that discussion and talk about it and reason is one thing. But in today's environment, especially, uh, you know, outside that you're, everyone digs in their heels and stands for what they believe, what they feel. But we don't see that as much. The students are looking at each other as students, and that's the thing that we tried to base. We've got to get to the point that the basis is Jesus Christ, that we're, you know, you're looking at that first. Yes, there are, you know, strong opinions of certain things that I hold, strong opinions that, uh, you know, might be in conflict with that. But to find the common ground, to be able to nurture the students in a way that it doesn't, uh, it can very easily drive them away from Christ as much as it can pull them towards it, if that makes sense, what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I do see it as a unifying uh, situation, and I see that as um, the building itself is used for the in-town reunion that uh, uh, is sponsored by CRE and the POZ that puts it on. There are other meetings that take place there in the building. That's one of the reasons that um, it's kind of, as we've talked about when we're talking about the renovation of the sanctuary, it's kind of iconic to the restoration because it's been there since the early 90s, and it's something that has drawn people together through the years. Uh, So that's, you know, I think that's important to be able to support something as a people and we don't have that ability. I mean, you look at what happened with what's now the community of Christ, uh, from Rest Haven to the, the uh, sanitarium, the different programs that the Lord instituted, which honestly just fell apart as far as the church as it stands now, the institutional church that's there now. So, Yeah, I see that school as just one, maybe the only entity now that, that people from all different Parts of the restoration can focus on and agree on that the the welfare of our children is just so unifying and important. And the church seems to always take care of the the children. I know at our own branch when when we were looking at upgrading our playground equipment, it was a huge expense. But that was one thing on the budget that just didn't even really get (laughs) discussed about. There was it was so it was so unifying, and we're going to provide for our kids and make sure they're taken care of. So. That's that's a neat thing, and, and matter of fact, Dad, we're sitting in this house today because of the school. Because when when I when I got out of my second career of nursing school back in '05 and graduated, I wanted to live as close as I could to that building because I knew that was kind of the hub of where the saints met and activities went on. And, and I knew if I had a family someday that I wanted my children to go there. 
And so I bought a house a block north of the school. Uh, so it is, uh, that is neat. Talk, talk to me. You mentioned uh, you have some interviews coming up. That's, that's neat because people that go to public school probably don't sit down with the administrator and get interviewed before they enroll their children there, I, I would think. Or uh, what is that? What is that process and what's the purpose of that? Well, the purpose of it is uh, twofold. Number one, so we get to know the families, um, <clears throat> but also so they get to know what we're about. And we talk about different things in the interview, what CPRS stands for, what we expect from the students, that sort of thing. And <clears throat> we get to talk about what the goals of the family are, where they, why are they coming to CPRS, what do they know about CPRS. So it's a general interview process, not to... I mean, we do do background checks, obviously, on the students. We have to look at their transcripts. We find out if they're checking academically, but also checking have there been conduct problems, that sort of thing. Um, but is, is it a fit for CPRS? And, you know, that's, that's a process that uh, is very important as far as the school is concerned. They need to know what they're if you will, getting into what they're taking on as far as responsibility, as well as us understanding them and what they're bringing to the school. Every student's bringing something different to the school. Every student's bringing, every family's bringing something to the school that uh, can be an asset or can be a detriment. And it's just something that um, everybody needs to get on the same page. Again, that the school and the family working together. What is some of the um, advantages you would say to to parents that are looking at the school or going through that interview process. What are what are some advantages <clears throat> that you feel you guys provide, as opposed to public school? As yeah. Opposed to yeah. Well, obviously, Jesus is the big <laughs> the big difference sure. between us and public school. Um, <clears throat> I had a teacher that I taught with when I was in public school, and this probably gives the illustration the best. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Bob um, was a math teacher that I taught with at, uh, at, at the middle school, and he made the comment he was not of our faith. And in fact, he was uh, Baptist, I believe. Um, in fact, I know he was. But we were having conversation, and he shared his testimony. And he said, I was one of the most anti-Christian people you could ever meet. He said, I would go into the teacher's lounge and tell a story just to offend the Christians that I knew that were in there at that time. And then something happened with him. He had an experience that completely turned him around. And he was a science teacher at the time. And uh, he said one of the first things I had to do was go back and apologize to the Christians that I offended. And he said there were a lot of them. And he says I did that. Wow. And he said what amazed me is that every one of them said they'd been praying for me for five years. Oh, man. And he said then I had to look at my classroom. And he said, I taught evolution. That was it. And he said, I downplayed creationism anytime I could. He said, well, I started teaching evolution, because I had to for the school, and creationism both as options. And parents didn't complain, but the other teachers did. And so consequently, he was told that he needed to go to middle school, not high school, and he needed to teach math and not science. So he did. Bob passed away within his last year from cancer, but very, very strong testimony. And that's probably the main difference if you're looking at it there. We obviously can do that. We teach science in a different manner, for example, than you will at public schools. And with the changes that are on being planned right now as far as curriculum in the public school level, I think that probably will change even more drastically in the next few years, if it continues the way it is. Yeah. I, I wanted to talk to you or give you opportunity to talk about your staff because you, you talked about sacrifice 
and the the teachers, the staff, the office, uh, all of them that work and volunteer at the school are just have a a place in my heart because of the impact they've had on our family through through our son. And a quick testimony: we we were uh, he was really struggling in his elementary years at the school uh, because of his learning needs and. It was a constant uh, battle at home, and, and one year in particular was very, very rough uh, because of the not, not nothing against the teachers, but some of the teaching styles had just didn't fit in with his disabilities, and it was a rough year. And we were really concerned about him, not just in school, but in his life and how things were going to work out for him. And then the next year, he had a very special uh, teacher that came into his life, and I won't say her name, but she knows who she is because we've told her many times. She she not only taught him, but the, when she, the way she reached out to us as parents and, and sent a letter to us and said, you don't need to worry about your son. His characters and his love for people and God is, is what's most important, and he's going to do fine. And she settled our... She settled our hearts and our souls that we just had peace. And from that moment forward, uh, things changed at home, the way we interacted with him about school and things. And it was a life-changing day. And it, was, it, it, it changed the trajectory of our family and him and the way he's grown. And that's, that's just one instance of the type of staff you have there. Uh, another advantage we have is, you know, he could text his teachers on his phone about an assignment or his homework. I don't think I don't know if kids have that type type of intimacy in the public school because it's it's such a smaller, more intimate way, and we just love the teachers and the staff there. So I want to give you just talk to me about your staff, some of the things you see. Well, I think <clears throat> one example is when COVID hit, and we were undecided as far as what was going to happen. And we shut school down uh, as all schools. Well, I should say most of the schools were at that particular time. <clears throat> we had a faculty meeting. It was on Monday. And I told the teachers, I said, we need to make some changes because we're going to be going remote. And I said, we have the capabilities through Google Classroom. We're not using it. We had the capabilities through uh, Zoom and through other things to be able to uh, bring that to pass. And I said, I know it's a burden. And I said, I know you're going to have to change lesson plans. And it's going to take a lot of work. But I really would like to have us do it uh, by Friday. And this was <laughs> by Monday. Um And honestly, this always gets to me. Um, <clears throat> ten minutes after the meeting, two teachers came into my office and said, we've talked about it. We'll be ready to go tomorrow morning. And they were. It was just, uh, I mean, they worked late into the night to get things set up, communicating with students, with parents, and what they were going to do within their classrooms. We set up a... <clears throat> Uh, pickup day and a drop-off day once a week for students that had to bring stuff in that couldn't do stuff online, and they helped uh, get that all together. It was just, um, <clears throat> as one of the teachers said, I think I saw a glimpse of Zion in the way it was going to work because everybody was working together to make it come together. Um, that probably summarizes the dedication that's there more than anything else. Mm. Yeah, COVID, what a what a year it's been for you guys as teachers and faculty at the school. Yeah, it, uh, you know, we probably would have done, well, we would have done a lot of things differently, but no one knew what they were going into. No one knew what to expect as far as how it happened. And a nice thing about it was because of the remote learning and because the students were held, if you will, held accountable for the academics, we were able to teach right up to the end of the year. That wasn't the case with a lot of schools. Um, <clears throat> so we didn't, sure, there were students that 
that's not the best, that isn't the best way to teach. And there were a lot of students that struggled with it, but a lot of students didn't miss a step. Most students were, hey, I really don't like this, but we'll make it work. Um, and as they, you know, we look back on that, I think there are a lot of lessons to be learned from that. But we were able to keep teaching right up to the end of the year. And then this year, we were able to stay in person with the exception of around Thanksgiving, the week before Thanksgiving. Um, <clears throat> we had uh, uh, one family in particular where high school students did test positive for COVID. Uh, and so the high school we are not able to put into cohorts the way elementary obviously is and the way we were able to do it with uh, middle school. So we went remote with the high school, and they're easier to adapt to that than the rest of the levels. But we went remote with it for a week before Thanksgiving, and then we extended the Thanksgiving break to one week. That's the only interruption we've had to in-person classes. We have really been blessed because of that, and uh, I think that's made a big difference this year. I When I walk into the school, uh, the feeling I get there is, is uh, and this may sound weird, it's a feeling of safety. I feel maybe spiritually safe or just, I don't know, being around the kids and knowing the place that the school has in the church, I feel just like, if there's any place God's watching over, that that's one of those places. And and having all of those people together in one spot, to me, has that feeling of just a safety net or a, a place to belong. I agree. And that protection has been evident uh, in my time there. You know, it's, it's not a situation that we don't want to have uh, – our safety procedures in place. We do, obviously, we need to do that. But that's one thing. The Lord's protection of the school has been uh, been evident throughout throughout its existence. You know, it's the foundation was laid back in the '90s uh, for it, and the school has matured in a lot of ways. There's been ups and downs, like there is in anybody's individual life, uh, but the foundation has been there, and it's just. Uh, you know, f- for me, it was a matter of looking at it and where does the Lord want to build on this foundation that's already there? What are this building that's already in place? I, I don't mean physically, but uh, the building that's there, that's taken place, we're going to stand on that and go from there if that's what the Lord wants to do. And uh, that's basically uh, been my thought process as far as doing it, you know. What do you want us to do next? And there's been things that I think, wow, this is a great idea. And I pray about it and thinking, well, maybe it's not. And then something happens that, whoops, nope, that's not the way he wants us to go. So any other way too. It's been amazing the number of times that there's an issue or a problem and we've made a matter of prayer as, as staff or whatever, or as myself as an individual, and you come back in and uh, it's taken care of. It just kind of resolves itself. We've had that. Some examples that come to mind uh, is uh, a couple students that were not adjusting well to what was available at CPRS, and uh, it's always difficult to have to tell a student they're going to leave. So you make it a matter of prayer and do, you know, and many times the decisions made on their own to do. Not all the time, but, uh, and that's not something that happens a lot. I don't mean to indicate that it does, but it's, uh, it's just seeing his hand on it in the office staff at school, the ladies there, and the teachers. I've heard him many times say, well, it's just a God thing. He took care of it. So, you know, in different issues. So it's expected, I think, by, you know, our one Obviously, all our teachers are starting their classes with prayer. Um, and one teacher in particular, most of them do prayer lists if there's concerns with the students, starting at the beginning of the day, primarily at uh, first hour. If you have someone you want on a prayer list, we'll offer prayer for them. Uh, one of the teachers 
has tracked certain things that have happened. Some powerful testimonies has come have come from the prayers of the students for what's on a prayer list, and it has really strengthened the students because of that. Mm. And this isn't a religion class that it takes place in. She just uh, makes it a matter of habit, put things on there, and they keep track of what's happening with that individual. So that's neat. it's been interesting. So what would you say to parents who maybe are on the fence about sending their children to CPRS? Uh, maybe it's... Um, for a variety of reasons, I know people think, well, there's less opportunities for sports or maybe it's the financial. It's going to require, you know, some money going out every month of their budget. What would you say to them? Well, I think basically that um, CPRS doesn't have all the answers for every student. Um, there are students that will thrive in a public school environment and um, – CPRS may not be for them. Uh, homeschooling is not for every student, and it might be a situation that it's better for certain students. I'm not here to say that we're better than they are in any respects. It all depends on the student. But the opportunity to grow closer to the Lord, the opportunity to uh, learn about service to others, the opportunity to uh, grow in the spiritual aspects of it is something that uh, needs to be considered, I think. As far as the financial aspect, yeah, it is a sacrifice for families. I understand that. There is some student assistance that's available depending on the, the needs of the family um, for it, but if, if, you know, it's up to the family to take a look at that and say, you know, I think the sacrifice is worth it as far as what my student's concerned. Like I said, some families just can't do that, and that's where we can help with uh, tuition assistance. And there's opportunities. I know some some parents work at the school or volunteer in different positions that, that then goes towards the tuition. That's correct. They will work. Our uh, kitchen staff, uh, custodial work, um, office staff, teacher's assistants, uh, a lot of different things that we do are volunteers and they're volunteering, and as such, they receive a credit on a portion of their tuition. So, Well, we are uh, wrapping up right at an hour. I want to give you opportunity. Any other testimonies that come to mind that you want to share or uh, challenges that we can pray for, um, blessings, anything you want to add that I didn't cover? Oh, I think as as far as a school, yes, definitely. In fact, when we send out publications to the congregations and to individual contributors who have contributed historically to the school, and we have uh, quite a few of those, um, we always ask for prayers. And I think that's the the biggest thing that we need is prayers as far as the school is concerned. There are things that are happening, changes that are being made academically, changes that are made physically to the, the building, not just for the school, as we talked about before, as far as other organizations using it and as a gathering point for the saints. It's important, I think, that um, we do those things uh, to bring honor to him. And that's the motivating force behind it. So, yes, I would definitely uh, appreciate all the saints praying for the school, making it a, a regular part of their prayer life if they would, because that's what that's the reason that exists. They, back in the nineties, they came up with over four hundred thousand dollars to buy the building in a very short period of time. And it was because of the prayers of the saints, the excitement they had about establishing it, and that enthusiasm and everything has continued. But it needs to grow even more, I think. And that's where uh, that's where my prayers are, and that's where I would appreciate the prayers of the saints. Well, that's neat. That's uh, from that reunion where I first heard about the idea, and I think it was in relation to trying to raise money to purchase it uh, to what we're at 31 years or 30 years later. Right. That it is it is still going and uh, and and is improving and um, is changing with the times. And I, I know just since Weston's been there, it's so much easier. Some of the technology and things you guys have integrated to follow his grades and assignments and uh, it's easier to, you know, Google Docs and all of these things integrated that he's, uh, it's just been, um, it's been tremendous. 
we were sitting around the fire the other night, Dan. We got a little fire pit in the backyard, my wife and I and my son, and we were just talking. And it was one of those moments of gratitude that we we just uh, felt thankful uh, as we talked about experiences at the school. I think I sent you an email. It just, I just mm-hmm. had to reach out and say thanks because you, you probably, I don't know if you hear that enough. Maybe you do, but um, very, very thankful uh, that that's been a resource for our family. And I think it's the attitude really of the, of the parents. I know people can get mad at the school and it's not doing this or that right. And, but it's it, what you said, that three-legged stool, um, the home is also important, I think, in how you view the, the school and what it's there for. So thank you for what you do. Well, thank you very much. It's, uh, it's been a blessing to me. The testimonies have happened, have strengthened me and the Lord's involved in the work, and I just uh, uh, really appreciate the opportunity to serve him and serve his people in this way. Well, I think we could talk for another hour just on the lives of the people that work there. Um, I know my my dad volunteers there and does some work right. there. Um, right. I just could go on and on. The robotics team and all of the sacrifice and time they put in with the students to the volunteers just... Uh, it's tremendous. So I will have a link in the show notes for uh, the website. And I think uh, on, the, on the website now, you can pay directly, like through PayPal or, or credit card. Correct, or, yeah. yeah. And so if you're looking for a place to send your tithing money or maybe you get some taxes coming back and you want to help out, uh, there's always a – I'll put a plug in. I know you want – but there's always a way to um, to add and to give money to the school. And it's pretty easy now online. So – We'll have a link to the website there. And, and also, I think there's information on there about enrolling your children. Or, yes, yeah. there is. And the, so pretty nice website. Dan, thank you uh, very much for coming today and um, and sharing your, your story. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it.